Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, good morning, church family. I have a sense that some of you people are distracted right now. That you are in the process of reviewing and looking. And can I give you a couple of thoughts? If you've already tried to friend him on Facebook, could you stop? <laughs> Let this man come meet you first, okay? And so, can I ask you to take this printed word and set it aside and pick up this eternal word that is life-changing? And so, I'm excited that you have a candidate. I am thrilled but I am grateful that regardless of who would stand in this place, God's Word puts us right in the middle of his heart. And so we're going to God's Word today, and as we go there in 1 Peter chapter 5, I will tell you that this has been the passage that I have been praying for you since the time that I knew that you were going to be without a pastor. That this is the passage that demonstrates a heart of a shepherd that I prayed that God would bring to this church family. So as we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, I want to remind you that Peter is writing to a group of churches, many of them house churches, churches that were scattered throughout an area. They were younger churches, churches that had faced opposition and struggle and trouble, and churches that there were people in them that were looking at each other and saying, hey, if we love Jesus and we're trying to do what's right, why are we facing opposition? Why is our families not understanding? Why aren't other people grasping the reality of who Jesus is? And in the midst of that struggle, Peter walks them through how to live, and then we come to this particular passage in 1 Peter 5 in which he says, remember, this is the shepherd that God has for your church. These are the qualities you should find in your shepherd. And while it can be hard, you need to know that God's heart is for you. So we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be looking in particular of, of the trust that we can have in the shepherds that God puts into our lives. And as we come to this place, could I ask you just to pray with me and ask God to speak to our hearts. Jesus, we're asking you today, reveal to us what we need to understand. Show us what we need to hear, and may we respond well to you and be ready to move forward together as your church family. We pray in Jesus, your holy and precious name, amen. First Peter chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. We're going to see in this final chapter three qualities that Peter says that you should be able to expect in the shepherd that God puts into your church and a promise he makes both to the shepherd and the sheep as they walk before him in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now I want you to look at that phrase where he says, I exhort the elders among you as what? As a fellow elder. 
And that really is important because I want you to be mindful of the fact that as Peter is writing this, he is near the end of his life, and he could have said, I want to talk to you as the person that actually got out of the boat and walked on water. I want to talk to you as the person that actually said, silver and gold have I none, but get up in the name of Jesus. I want to talk to you as the one that preached the sermon at Pentecost, and by the way, had a pretty good response. But he didn't do that. He says, I want to talk to you as a fellow elder. He identified with them. He was saying to those shepherds, listen, I'm in here with you. And it's that gentle reminder to all of us that every one of us comes to Jesus the same way. You see, the reality is it doesn't matter who you are or where your life has been or the challenges that you have gone through or not gone through. We all come to Jesus the same. We all come needing a Savior. None of us, none of us are excluded from that need. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That every one of us in our lives have fallen short and been separated by sin from God and that the only hope that we had was through the fact that Jesus Christ God's only son walked this earth in sinless perfection offered himself upon the cross as a perfect sacrifice that he died upon that cross giving up his life for you and for me that he was buried and resurrected on the third day and that if you will trust in his name if you will trust in him as your lord and savior you will know what it is to have an eternal relationship with god we all come the same way None of us, none of us gets to look at somebody else in our life and say, you know, I think probably it was harder for God to save you than me. All of us, all of us need him. We all come to Jesus the same way. We all come to the Lord's Supper in the same place. We all follow him in baptism in the same way. The Christian journey is one in which we are made equal in Christ. And we are made special through Christ and made holy through Christ. And Peter says to these fellow elders, he says, listen, I'm right there with you. I'm appealing to you as a fellow elder. So the very first quality, the very first quality would be this, a humble heart. First Peter chapter 5, verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. He says, listen, you shepherd these people, you love these people because you want to, not because you have to. And a shepherd that God calls to be part of this church family is one that is called to love you. And God will birth in them a, a heartbeat that they will not be able to separate their heart from you because they will love you well. And it's not for what you can get, it's for what you can give. It's not because what you can attain, it's because of what you've already received in Christ. And now you get to hand out and give out and pour out into the lives of other people. It's a heart that is humble before the Lord, that's hungry for God to make himself known to other people. And it's never by demand, but by example. 
It's not a, a shepherd that says, well, because I'm pastor. But it's a shepherd that says, come with me. Let's go together. You know, I really tried because in a few weeks, I go back to just doing my, my regular day job as the director of missions for the association. And so I'll be back visiting every Sunday to 100-plus churches that make up the association. Usually I get to go to two or three a Sunday, or I'm preaching at least in one of them. Uh, I have a rule, and my rule is whatever church I'm going to, I go dressed like the pastor, okay? So if the pastor wears a suit, I'll wear a coat. If the pastor, you know, wears blue jeans and he's a cowboy pastor, then I'm coming like I am, kind of like right now, except wearing boots. And I don't drive my, my wife's car. I drive my truck because the parking lot is sometimes a little iffy. And so when I go to one of our cowboy, we have six cowboy churches. And when I go to one of those churches, one of the things I'm struck by is this. I'm struck by the fact that there's not one time not one time in Scripture that the Bible talks about the church of Jesus Christ being made up of cattle. Not one place. But it's made up of what? Sheep. You see, you drive cattle. You herd sheep. And the shepherd that God calls you is not here to drive you. He's here to walk among you and to walk with you in the direction that God is wanting him to go. It's a humble heart. It's a heart that's committed to knowing fully who God is and what God wants to do. There's another quality, and that is a hunger to share honor among many. It's a shared honor. Look what it says in 1 Peter 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And you'll remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about Christian submission as a mutual commitment, as an understanding of roles and an understanding of working and walking together. And that that word is never meant to be understood as oppressive or coercive. It's not to be understood as, as, as putting somebody down, but rather how do we lift each other up and how do we walk together it's an absence of pride. It's the realization of my limitations and the realization of your limitations that we need each other and that none of us are complete all amongst ourselves, but only as we work together. That the body is the body because of many parts, not because of just one part, not just because of one part. The understanding, and you know, I think about that because these were very intimate church settings. You can imagine if you're doing a house church, that, that, that's really intimate. And some of us have been in house churches, and I think about some of the house churches that I've attended, especially in some closed countries in East Asia where you're in an apartment and you can't sing real loud because you don't want to get reported by the neighbors and you can't do a lot of things. You have to be careful how you go. You don't go home the same way that you came. There's a lot of things that are involved in that. And I think about when they would do baptisms, they didn't get to go to the creek or go over here to a place like this or a public location. They usually would go to the one bathroom in that apartment, and they would put them in the bathtub and kind of do a hope-to baptism, you know, get them down and kind of move them around, make sure that they got all covered up. 
And you know, I can just see somebody doing that and somebody in the crowd saying, gosh, I thought they'd cleaned their bathroom before we did this. Uh, but you know, you don't know what's all going to happen. That's intimate. And see, what happens sometimes with intimacy is it can kind of, kind of knock down a little bit our respect because of becoming too familiar. And I want you to hear that we are called to give respect because of the office and that we are called to give respect because of the calling and that intimacy is going to reveal at times some flaws. But I'm going to tell you something. I want you to hear, God may bring you the perfect pastor, but that doesn't mean he is a perfect pastor. You understand what I'm saying? And so you let him be human. You let his family be human. You let his kids be human because that's just the reality of walking together is understanding that. You know, um, sometimes if we're not careful, we kind of act like the church is a business. But guys, we're not a business. We're a huge family. And a pastor is not a CEO. A pastor is not a project manager. A pastor is a shepherd. And he's there to love on the sheep and to walk with them and to do it in a way that demonstrates integrity. But it's not always easy. The Barner Group did research on pastoral uh, 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 ability to stay for the long term. And what they discovered was this. Every single month, 1,500 ordained clergy leave the ministry. Every month. You know, when I graduated from seminary the last century, uh, 1989, there was over 300 of us that graduated from Masters of Divinity degrees. Within the first 20 years of my ministry, half of them were no longer in ministry. At this point, less than 25% are still in ministry. Matter of fact, the probability is, is that if the Lord lets me keep going, praise God, keep going that by the time it's said and done less than 10 or 5 percent will be in ministry of course some of that will be through attrition some of that will be through death and with jesus but the reality is this it can be very hard because it's different than a job it's it's listen you do not want a pastor you can hire trust me that's not what you want you want a pastor that is called I was working with a personnel committee several uh, years ago. Not this personnel committee at your church, different church. And we were talking about uh, staffing and some things related to that and some other things. And I made a couple of comments about the challenges of ministry and kind of what that means. And as we were leaving, the personnel chair pulled me aside and says, I just got to talk to you for a minute because I'm trying to understand this because you were talking about the challenges of ministry and about the way that we have to show honor and so forth. But, you know, the reality is the pastor may be on call 24-7, but I'm on call 24-7 in my job. I said, really? He goes, oh, yeah. He said, I work for NASA. You know, I, I had to be ready. I had to pick up the phone. I had to deal with problems, deal with mercies. I said, okay. I said, I'm curious. When you picked up the phone, did anybody ever say, Pastor, my baby that I just brought home isn't breathing? Was there anybody on the other end of that line that said, Pastor, my daughter is missing. She's not come home. 
Was, was there anybody on the other end of the line that says, I'm at the place where I'm ready to take my life and I don't know what I'm going to do and you've got to give me one reason why to stay alive. And I went through about eight or ten more situations. I said, here's what's most critical. Unlike you, your pastor one day will stand up before the Lord and the Bible says he will give an account before God for every word, for every teaching, for every choice he made for that church family. And you may attend the church, but he will be accountable for the church. There's a difference. There's a difference. That's why you want someone that's called. Because their heartbeat is a heartbeat that is hungry for the heartbeat of God and the heartbeat for what God wants to do in this church family. God's going to give you a pastor who will love you well, will be faithful to God's word, and a pastor's wife and family that you will come to love and know. But let me give you some counsel, okay? This is free. Let me give you some thoughts. First, make a commitment to pray for your pastor and his family. And pray for them regularly. Don't tell your pastor you're going to pray for them every day unless you do. But pray for them regularly. And make a commitment to do that. Be mindful of that. The second is, be an encouragement to him. Be an encouragement to him and to his family. And could I ask you not to be a negative encouragement? And by that I mean, don't come up and say something like, hey, you know, compared to some other sermons I've heard, that was pretty good. Be a positive encouragement. Be patient with him. Be patient with his family. They don't know your history. They're going to learn about your family. They're going to learn about you, and they're not going to remember your name immediately. That doesn't mean they don't love you. It just means they're trying to learn a thousand of you as fast as they can. And you know what? There's going to be something that he does that isn't perfect, that kind of bumps you a little bit, and that you've got a little bit, and maybe it's even a little irritating. Let me tell you what to do. Commit to pray about it. Pray about it for a year. And if it still irritates you, pray for another year. Uh, <laughs> one last thing. Be affirming to your church staff. Be affirming to them in an appropriate and healthy way. You, you need to know that coming up to them and saying something like, hey, I know you must be glad that you're about to get a pastor so you don't have to work so hard. Friend, you got one of the hardest working, healthy staffs I've ever been around. I worked with a lot of staffs. They were working hard before your pastor retired. They have worked hard throughout this interim. They have made me look so much smarter than I really am. And they're going to work just as hard afterwards. But friends, they aren't waiting to be faithful to God. They've already been faithful. But just tell them, I see what you do. I see who you are. You're making a difference in my life. Thank you for what you said to my child. Thank you for what you said to my son. Thank you for what you've done for my family. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the, the testimony that I've watched in your life. Be an appropriate encourager. There's one more quality that I prayed for, and that is that they would have faithful hope. 1 Peter chapter 5, 6 and 9 and I put those words together on purpose. It's not just they are hopeful, 
but they are faithful with the hope that God has put within them. It says in verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. He says, I want you to be faithful even when you're anxious. And you know what it's like when you're anxious and you're anticipating? It's like a three-year-old waiting for Christmas Day, and they're just kind of vibrating with energy. And, and you just want to say, how can I wear you out so I can key you down? The Bible says you be faithful through your anxiety. And that means that even though my heart may be fluttering, I choose the peace of Christ. And I choose trust over question. I choose Him. The Bible says in Psalms 55, 22, cast your cares on the Lord. Remember, this was a young church, and some of these folks, they were getting attacked from people that they loved. They had family members looking at them saying, why are you following Jesus? Isn't he just some pagan idol? It takes a lot at times to stop and to say, I follow Jesus because I love him and because he loves me, and I'm going to be faithful. Also, be faithful through adversity. The Bible describes Satan as going around like a roaring lion. And you know, I'm just mindful of this. In all of our lives, every one of us has lions in our lives. And you know that from what the passage talks about, that when he talks about Satan being like a roaring lion, that the lion would use the roar to kind of push the prey to their doom. But I want you to hear that when you hear the roaring lion, you just look at him and say, hey, thank you for reminding me he that is in me is greater than he that's in the world. And so he roar away because Satan, I want you to know, Jesus has already whipped you. I'm trusting him. So go ahead, remind me, but I'll praise him anyway. Not only that, be firm in your faith. I want to read to you actually Isaiah 50 verse 7 from the Septuagint translation. It says this, I gave, and this is Jesus talking, I gave my back to the scourges and my cheeks to the blows, and I turned not away my face from the shameless spitting. But the Lord God became my helper, therefore, as I was not ashamed, but I set my face as a solid rock. I said the reason I, I believe this is what Jesus is saying is because the prophet is saying this is what's happening with the sacrifice, and this is exactly what took place on the crucifixion. What I want you to hear is that the phrase is, I set my face as a solid rock. It's a reminder of what is said in Luke chapter 9 verse 51. He set his face towards Jerusalem and some translations say it like this. He set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. In other words, it was so rigid that if you struck it, it would spark. Jesus never hesitated to move toward the cross. He knew what it would take to redeem you. He knew what it would take to save us, and he was committed to it. We're also to have faithful hope through affliction because we're not alone. 
Remember what Jesus said to Peter in John 21, 15. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. I want you to think about that moment for Peter. Because the first time Peter ever heard the words, follow me, Jesus is standing on the shore and there's been the miracle of a catch. And he looks at Peter and says, Peter, follow me. At that point, Peter didn't know anything much, but what he did know was he heard the voice of God and he followed. But three years later, Miracle after miracle, moment after moment, teaching after teaching, his life had been transformed to the place that even though he denied the Lord, we have him here restored by the Lord. And the Lord looks at him and says, Peter, I want you to love these folks. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to care for my lambs. And Peter, when you die, it's not going to be the death you hope for. It's going to be hard. Follow me. And what did Peter do? He followed. And that's what I pray for you. That's what I pray is that this will be someone that will, no matter what the cost, will say, we as a church body are going to stay faithful to follow Jesus. And he gives a powerful promise. Let me read this to you, 1 Peter 5.10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And there's a phrase there, I, I would circle it, and that is, will himself. I want you to hear that when you walk through troubles, when you walk through struggles, when you walk through hard times, when you walk through challenges, when you walk through questions, when you're walking places that all you feel is the shadow of the valley of death, that you wonder, God, where are you in the midst of the moment that I'm in? I want you to hear that Jesus says, I will come myself to you. I don't send an angel, I don't send a plaque. I send my presence. And what will he do? I will restore you. I will take the jigsaw pieces of your life and I will put them back in order. Even though they feel shattered, I can put it back together. I will confirm you, which means I will strengthen you. I will bulk you up. I will give you back the strength that you have lost, and I will bring it back to you. And I will strengthen you. I will remove your fears. I'm going to bring comfort to you, and I will establish you like the foundations, and you will be settled. You will be stable because I am here with you. Myself, I am here with you. That is the promise that he makes to the shepherd. That is the promise he makes to the sheep. He loves you. He loves you. So this morning, as we come to this moment that we're in, I want to give you an invitation. And it's not a regular invitation that we do where we, we just ask you to come to the front or something like that. This is what we're doing today. 
If you want to know more about Jesus, if you want to take the next step toward following him, you've got questions, we want to talk to you. Or if you need to know about baptism or what it means to be part of this church family, listen, when the service is over, I'll be right here at the front. Pastor Milt will be over at the Welcome Center. He would be happy to visit with you. We have some folks right through this hallway in a glass room that's available where you can feel comfortable to ask your questions. We're happy to visit with you. But right now, what we're going to ask you to do as a church family is the moment that we're in is we're calling our church family to prayer. Because in two weeks, this church is going to be making a choice. And we want to make sure that as a church family, we are prepared and that we are spiritually ready to make that choice. Now, you've been praying throughout this time, and I'm grateful for that. You have been praying intentionally. You see, you're about to start praying for a name. You're going to be praying about somebody that you're going to get to be able to know online, that you're going to be able to see some things, and then you're going to get to meet. And we need to be prayerful to be ready to know what God is doing with this church family. Because I want to remind you that abilities are helpful, background is good, qualifications are good, all those things are good, but I want you to remind, remind you something. There's really only one question in front of you. Is this the man God has called to this church? Ultimately, that is the only real question. Because you could be highly qualified. The question is, are you highly called? So that's what you're thinking about. The past search committee is unanimous in that understanding. Adam and his family is unanimous in that understanding. Now it's coming before you, and you're going to be entrusted with that choice. So we're praying that we will have the right heart to be ready when the moment comes. So we have two weeks to spend time in prayer. So this is what I'm going to give you the opportunity to do. And that is in just a few moments when we stand up together, if you want to come to this altar place and you want to stand in prayer or kneel in prayer, you're welcome to do so. If you want to stand where you are and pray with somebody beside you or behind you, you are free to do so. We're just asking the church family, though, we're asking you to come to the place of prayer. So that over the next two weeks, we can all know that everybody is praying together. God, give us one heart. Give us a clear understanding so that we can move forward to the future you have for us. So let's stand together as we sing, as we pray.